Light partners with college football, but not with the product you think. The GABF competition is coming. Should breweries give a shit? White Castle partners with Brewery to now have their own beer to go with the slider. And the BA numbers are in. Spoiler alert, it's all beer. Welcome to It's All Beer. When craft beer news gets hazy, we dump a little bit of Irish moss in to clear it up for you. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. I knew you'd enjoy that little bit of beer geekery for you. <laughs> uh. I, 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 I got a special smile on my face when I wrote that. I'm like, oh, I am so smart and clever. Uh, <laughs> fuck you and your world flock tablets. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. How are you, Jeremy? I'm digging on this hazy today. We are uh, uh, recording with... Uh, 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 a new beer in town, or at least a new beer uh, in our market. Uh, this is out of Iowa, the Topping Toppling Goliath uh, King Sue Double Hazy IPA. What do you think? I think it's excellent. Does not drink like a double IPA. It maintains that nice hazy look, and it's about a month old, so a little bit over. So, I mean, it is. I do like the mouthfeel. It's extremely smooth, extremely creamy. I was, I guess, expecting a little bit more hop aroma on it. I get, like, some tropical fruit notes. I get some citrus. The The hop flavor feels a little bit muted to me. I, I, I don't know. I saw this. Uh, we talked about this briefly uh, last week. It was on uh, Vine Pear's um, list of 25 most important IPAs. It's a decent Imperial Hazy. I guess I don't know what I was expecting. I guess more of a hop burst, which I... Which it's... The month old may have something. Could be traveling across the country. Could have put a stress on the beer. Um, but it's own right. I get get like nice tangerine, pineapple, papaya, orange rind notes towards the end. A little bit of bitterness on the back. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's I I I dig the balance on it for a for a hazy imperial IPA. Um, I like it. We can keep it. <laughs> That'll do, pig. That'll do. So, Tyler, do you want to kick us off today? Yeah. So, in the spirit of college football season, um, we have a new move happening. So, as you've probably seen, if you follow any kind of beer trends, uh, the new move right now is Hard Seltzers sponsoring different sports leagues. So, Sam Adams truly just sponsored the NHL. Uh, Bon and Viv, uh, AB InBev's spiked seltzer bastard um (laughs) is sponsoring the nfl um i think the cincinnati Bengals have their own spiked seltzer out of ohio as well so it's all the new rage i mean i guess i maybe need to update my stereotypes on masculinity but uh you know for a for an endeavor that is claims to be hyper masculine professional sports doesn't seem to mesh with seltzer water (laughs) You got to look at the bro market, man. God damn it. I don't want to look at that market because it smells like Axe Body Spray and Shame. No, 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 no. It smells like Aloha Beaches and the Catalina Lime Mixer if you are in the Big 12 Conference. I mean, that that's you, you can't hear it, but what, what I'm hearing in my brain is a thousand monkeys screaming bloody murder. <laughs> so, I uh, saw an article on Forbes.com. Uh... Natural Light's new hard seltzer, their Catalina Lime Mixer, and Aloha Beaches uh, become the official hard seltzer of the Big 12 Conference. Um, so it's not just 
Big 12 college football. It's basketball, baseball, softball. This is their official hard seltzer of the whole conference. Just the official hard seltzer. It's not their official, like, they still have an official beer, I'm hoping. I, I don't know. So I've never seen anything about a college conference ever having an official beer. God damn it. <laughs> um, but going into this, it pulls up some Nielsen data that shows hard seltzer grew 185.2%. Um, as well as it holds a 2.8% share of the total beer market. I mean, I, it's been clear that over the past, I first, I think I first ran into them. Someone first gave me a hard seltzer when I was working at a tap room uh, in homebrew store several years ago. And I, I think I politely laughed in the salesperson's face. Um, I think since then that tap room now carries hard seltzer. Because and the tap room I work at now carries hard seltzer because at some point in time, there's no amount they just can't fight it. People come in, they go, well, "I'll just take a hard seltzer," and you want to weep for them. So, but there's there's something to yeah. this. Uh, which the funniest part I ever found in this whole article was um, the statement that the Big Twelve said. They said um, the Big Twelve welcomes Anheuser Busch to its sponsorship program. We are very pleased as part of this sponsorship to work with AB to help foster a culture of responsible drinking and making every experience with its products a positive one. The best part is if you follow any like online social media presence that is is like college Greek related, Natty Light is like the debauchery. I'm just saying here. it's the opposite of that. Then White Claws started taking over. And as soon as Natty Light came out with their own hard seltzer, all the frat bros were like, fuck yeah, we can keep supporting the debauchery brand and drink White Claws, basically. So, Natty Light hard seltzer, let's get blacked out. Maybe I don't understand, like, frat boy culture, and I'm, I I hold that as, you know, a, a positive in, on my side, but were they looking for a reason to want to drink hard seltzer? Was there, I mean, is there is something I'm missing here? <laughs> so the only thing, because I've tried a couple hard seltzers, I can't really get into them. I, I'm not a f- fan of the flavor profile. I mean, it tastes like, they, it tastes like LaCroix, except it's going to fuck you up. Yeah, and... I think there's a little too harsh of a carbonation bite coming through. Fair. But... And also, you know, the shitty flavor they use. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, just slam vodka like the rest of the <laughs> alcoholic Russians. Uh, hey, but, at least... <laughs> I Look, I understand that. I mean, your booze has no flavor, but you can drink it by the gallon and... I don't know, I guess, stop Napoleon from taking over your country. Yeah, by using that said vodka to burn down all your cities. Is Whatever your works. <laughs> but from talking with a couple friends that drink White Claws and that, they love it because it drinks super easy. Let's see, again, that's the antithesis of drinking responsibly. That yes. means I can so, put more of this shit in my system and do more dumb shit. They're like, I can crush a can in like 30 seconds. And... They're like, and that's drinking slow. And now, and so everyone is drinking these just to get piss hammer drunk at college football games <laughs> and not feel bloated. <laughs> and now the Big 12 comes out and goes, we're happy to partner with this brand to promote safe drinking. 
<laughs> oh, I, I I see the joke now. I yes. think I, I yes. All right, I'm a little. I was a little bit slow, but this there's... is also the same brand that bought a yacht and a helicopter, and it bought the yacht so it had a place to park the helicopter, decked out in their seltzer brand, and then flew it around um, the opening game Clemson played. I mean, I feel like that's just something that's going to be uh, on people's mind when the revolution comes, and they're <laughs> and they're looking for people to be first up against the wall, but. Um, but I mean, good for them. I guess if I it was rolling in White Claw money, I'd buy a yacht too. Why the fuck not? But I'm like, Big Twelve, stop trying to blow smoke up everyone's ass. That you're there to promote safe drinking. You agreed to this because you took a fat check with a lot of zeros, and AB agreed to this because now all the people at your games will be buying that to get belligerent. And I'm just waiting for the people that are actually adding more booze to the uh, to the White Claw or, or to the Natty. Oh yeah, uh, because that's I that my vague memories of football and of college football, and they're very vague because we started drinking at like 10 a.m. and by the time we were got to the stadium, we were sh- I was shit hammered drunk and. I mean, in college, I snuck a full case of beer into the stadium. I've snuck several bottles of liquor into the stadium. You always had a good time in the stands. Yes. yeah. I, I always said if Boise State would serve beer in the stands, I wouldn't have had to sneak my own in. <laughs> well, now you can get natty hard seltzer. Oh my God, it just hurts to say. This is what the world's becoming. What uh, do you have on a brighter note? <laughs> who the fuck cares about competitions news now? All right. So, GABF, coming next week. Gap. And a lot of breweries are wondering... Well, at this point in time, they've either, either entered or they haven't. But leading up to it, I know a lot of breweries toy with the idea of, is it worth entering? Your odds of winning are extremely low. This is the biggest beer competition in the United States. And it's about 150 bucks an entry, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's expensive to enter. And even if you do win, does anybody give a figgity fuck? Um, Tyler, I mean, I know you've... You've you've had to kick this around at your brewery, uh, uh, whether or not. I mean, I don't think you've entered GABF, but just competitions in general. I know this has been a this has been a a, a a topic of conversation. So, I mean, your philosophy is my philosophy is enter them all. Uh, my boss isn't doesn't really care to enter. He's like, I I I don't think the medals really mean much. And my counter argument to that is not only even if you don't win a medal. You get the tasting notes back on your beer. So it can help your brewers refine their processes to go through and be like, oh. Or take a look and be like, they were picking up that? Okay, let's try a beer from that batch. Are you getting it? No. Am I getting it? Maybe. Or And so you can see if you had any issues that you may not have picked up before on a batch. Mm-hmm. Uh, which... Ultimately helps improve the quality, which I think everyone can stand to improve. Um, And then if you do get a medal, on the sales side of everything, if you walk into an account or trying to get into a chain retail account that hasn't heard of your brand or is kind of on the fence about picking it up because they don't know if customers will care or whatever, if you go, oh yeah, we just want a medal... Un- at X beer competition. Just unzip and plop your medal on the table and go check right it along out. with the schlong. <laughs> I mean, it's... Look how big and shiny it is. <laughs> yeah, and the medal. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, so it, it helps almost, like, legitimize that specific beer. So. 
Well, and so the so that's why I found this article interesting. This article came from Brewbound. It's by uh, Kerry Sumway. He actually went out to talk to a few breweries uh, that won uh, that walked away with a gold medal in 2017 to see what the long term effects are. Uh, does a win translate into increased sales? And the answer is. It does, except for when it doesn't. I mean, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, but, I mean, that's not important. Um, Kerry look, took a look at uh, uh, three breweries who uh, won in 2017. Uh, first was Lone Tree, which won gold for their Mexican lager in the American-style lager or malt liquor. Just go, All right. Just proof, just proof, if proof were needed, that sometimes where you enter is as, as important as... Uh, it's more important. ...as what you're entering. Um, it followed Flat Tail, which uh, won for their Hops and Lemon, uh, sorry, Hops and Lemon Vrenda, a uh, American sour ale. And they also talked to Knee Deep, but in the article they said they won gold in 2017. I could not actually find that on uh, on GABF's uh, winners list. Now, it has them winning silver for uh, Lupulin River. Which I think that beer is better than Pliny the Elder, and I will stick by that. I picked it in a blind taste test. <laughs> when Fair. Jeremy and I worked together, um, actually, it got beat by uh, Ballast Point's uh, Mantra that year. But um, but no, they in the article they claim they won in the Brewbound article they claim they won gold. Um, Knee Deep is actually helpful here because they actually put the medals right on the label, and there's the silver medal for Lupulin and bronze medal of the year before for Breaking Bud. No gold medal. I actually reached out to Brewbound to see if they could clear it up. I haven't heard back from them yet, but we'll we'll see how that works out. I'm just saying that's a couple weeks in a row, Brewbound. Oh, they're <laughs> spread apart. We just we, haven't. We just brought it up last week. <laughs> so, but anyway, not gold, but whatever. They still talk to Knee Deep. Silver, we'll go with silver. Uh, in the short term, Knee Deep and Lone Tree both saw a big uptick in sales. Uh, Knee Deep added new fermenters after that. Lone Tree increased their capacity with new fermenters and added a bright tank. Uh, but the outlier here was Flat Tail, not so much. Um, the uh, the co-founder and head brewer, uh, Dan McClave, uh said that, quote, locals are stoked. There was a great party that night, but it was back to business as usual afterwards. Um, and the article kind of chalks it up to a simple case of, well, you know, metals increase sales, except for when they don't. But... You know what? I think there's a, a different story that's being missed here because th- I think there. I think what also matters is what category you win. I don't have any have any data on this, but it seems almost intuitive that I mean, knee deep won silver in imperial IPA. You know, that's a sexy, sexy ass um, category. Yeah, a lot of plate bars and restaurants carry an IPA or a double IPA handle or multiples. Right, and the same with uh, American Lager. We're talking about the most popular style. Mm-hmm. You know, generally. Where a sour, you may have one handle at a restaurant, or it'll rotate in occasionally. It's just, a, I, I just tried to think about this a little bit earlier. I think sour may be the most polarizing style of beer out there, because I think people either like them, or they find them completely undrinkable. There are, you know, even with IPAs, you can kind of find, I don't like IPA, except for that one, I kind of... Oh, th- that wasn't bad, yeah. Yeah. It's- but for some sour beers, people who do not like them, do not like them. So, I don't know. I think that might have had something to do with it. And But on the other side, I took a look at uh, a Flat Tails website. Uh, they started in 2010 uh, with a tiny six-barrel system. They've quadrupled since then. Uh, so, they're not exactly 
they're not exactly stagnant, and they've also been consistently winning awards since uh, 2013. So there may be a, it may be an instance of your first your first medal is uh, you get a bit of an uptick, but after that it's just kind of you're just kind of gravy. Or one thing that pops up. Because I think we do get some flat tail here in the market. And maybe it's just because we don't have a rep in the market. Yeah. I didn't really hear about it. So I think if you win the medal, that's awesome. But that alone's not going to give you the sales. It's using that medal as a tool to then... The brewery I was at, we won a medal back at the North American Beer Awards back in June. Mm-hmm. When we were doing events or people would be like, Oh, what do you think about this beer? I'd be like, Oh... You know, one of my personal favorites. Uh, it also just won a medal. Zip! Clank! And people would be like, oh yeah, I'll take it. Or they'd be like, oh, that's awesome. And then try and be like, oh, that is fantastic. Yeah, I'll take one. Well, I think the other is, I, just what I was able to tell from, I mean, I think you might be thinking fish tails because I've never seen this in town. Uh, um, but Flat Tail, I, th- I think they're just a small brewery that sells mostly in Corvallis and in, in the Oregon area. And so you just might be just talking about a matter of scale. They just have no real, no real uh, uh, ambitions to uh, to in, to uh, uh, go much outside their little sphere of influence. And thus, you don't have a you don't see that upcrease in sales because you've already got the the market. I've seen this in town. Oh, okay. I mean, it's possible. I I don't think I have. I don't think they have a huge presence here in town. And so, like I said, that could have been why i didn't really hear about it what i kind of took away from this uh this article is a lot of things that you said is that it's not you can't quantify awards by saying we're going to spend x amount of money and if we win we're going to have y amount of in return yeah there's just you just can't think of uh the risk in return like that it's bigger and it's it's bigger than that you're gonna it gives you as like you said a tool um brewbound basically said the best thing you can do is just be in a position to take advantage of it if that happens to to uh, to uh, happen, just have the staff have have the marketing plan, just so you can pivot and move. If you win, start yeah. bragging about it, and if no one cares, then keep going. If people freak out and love it, awesome. Um, and I think the I think as you mentioned, kind of hit upon, you're it's not going to increase your sales to the general public, but the distributors, the wholesalers, bar managers. People who are in the industry, they know and they keep an eye on these things. And a lot of times they're making the decision of the things that actually even get to the public in the first place. So, yeah, the influence is, I think that clearly the influence is there. Yeah, and it's not going to be the end-all, be-all. They're not going to order it because it won a medal solely. Right, but it will. But it does lend an air of credibility. Yeah, and if it's between this and this and they like both, but X has a medal and Y doesn't, that may mm-hmm. push it over the top. And, Depending on a whole plethora of factors, but and yeah, and uh, as the brewer at uh, Flattail pointed out, I mean, what the best thing you really get is that is the feedback. He says that if you make the metal round in the GABF, you basically have your beer, you know, picked apart piece by piece by the best judges in the world. Which is that's got to be huge for for any brewery to get you know to get that kind of feedback. So oh, for sure. One thing I wonder. What the palate fatigue on those judges are after <laughs> judging the metal round of oh god imperial I, imperial IPA and IPAs or even the opening round of imperial IPAs at fucking GABF oh Jesus God in heaven kill me you're gonna you're, be half toasted by the time you finish I'll tell you this you're you got you, you'll see a whole lot of uh, uh, grown men 
shoving back crackers and smelling their arm. That's about their only... <laughs> that's the only way you get through it. Um, uh, just one last thing before we leave this. I, I just... As I dived into this, I found uh, the, the head brewer at Flat Terror particularly charming. He's apparently one of the youngest operating brewers in the, in the nation. I don't know what age he was when he started, but the picture on the website shows a kid that I'd card the shit out of if he comes into my tap room. <laughs> and there's, he, he, he kinda, and he handed a, a quote from him at the end of the article, which basically said, Revel in it because you're going to spend cash you don't have, and then you get back and go to work on Monday. So have fun. And I kind of just found that, eh, that's, I like that attitude. Okay, starting up next, uh, we're going to touch on White Castle getting their own beer. Oh, finally. I was worried that they weren't. I want <laughs> I, I want tiny beers and I want a tiny burger. <laughs> Why you're belligerent. <laughs> While I'm drunker than shit on White Claws and Natty Hard Natty Seltzer. Seltzers after watching <laughs> the Big 12 play. Um, so Go AB and Bev. If you remember a couple episodes back... Uh, we talked about Weyerbacher uh, filing for bankruptcy because apparently there wasn't as big of a market for pumpkin beer as they thought. <laughs> pumpkin beer's rule. I will live and die on that style. I don't give a shit. Um, well, so White Castle partnered with Weyerbacher um, to do them a specifically branded beer for White Castle restaurants. Uh, they're looking to roll it out to 400 White Castle locations across 13 states according to the food and wine article that I found. Um, they don't have a name for it yet, uh, but they'll be starting things off with a easy drinking Kolsch, which I was, I was like, all right, actually, all right. I, Kolsch doesn't get a lot of love, so I'm glad. I have to admit, I just had like an emotional reversal. I was, as you were talking, I'm like building up a, just a, a, a cavalcade of sarcastic ass comments. And then you said Kolsch, I'm like, Oh, I want that now. I kind of want. I I I, I kind of want that in. I, I want that to be part of my life. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. White Castle. I was about to be really sarcastic about that. Kolsch is that's an amazingly good choice. And I'm like, you know what? Not a lot of people realize what a Kolsch is, so it may help bring more light to the style. Do you want to talk about? You want to tell about a Kolsch is, or should I? I? I feel the beer judge should take this one. All right. Well, German style light ale. Um, it is it is one of the few ale styles, but fermented at cold temperatures so that you don't get a whole lot of fruity esters. What you're looking for is something slightly sweet, some maybe a little bit of uh, uh, honey, doughy, bready flavors, uh, just a hint of bitterness just for balance, and a nice clean finish. What you're looking for is a light, drinkable, heavily crushable uh, German-style ale. Here is what some of the reviews have been on the sample batch that they had. Slightly hoppy, light. Uh, another super crushable. So they're hitting the style, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Almost spot on. I mean, German beers. If yeah. You, if you're, you're doing it right, if you can drink it by the yard. The reason that they are trying to approach this partnership is White Castle is celebrating their 100th birthday in 2021, so they want to try to do some fun initiatives and surprise. I was unaware White Castle has been around that long. Same here. I mean, I guess my... The first experience with White Castle was when Harold and Kumar went. So uh, that might be my fault. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the brewery is predicting up to 20% of its 30,000 barrel capacity to be used up by this. Wow. Um, right now, they're both in seven states. So if it does roll out to the 13 or 14 states that they were hoping... Um, they'd have to expand to the rest of those states. We'll put that on the list of beers we have to, like, try to seek out when it, if and when it ever Nevada will be the closest one. 
All right, we'll make a trip to Nevada. I guess we should. You know, we are. We should start a list of all these beers we talk about and we don't and and we don't get. Someone's goal is to create a Twitter account of shit Tyler and Jeremy need to do, <laughs> uh, and so that way we can just follow it and then. Be like, oh yeah, we still need to go try that beer beer from Red Deer. We need to go to <laughs> Las Vegas to White Castle. And how did that go? Did did did, did your friend from Canada ever sent get back at you the the beer beer from Red Deer Deer? Uh, I think he was drunk when I was messaging him. Uh, he sent me a picture of him holding the can. Uh, but I'll, I'll follow up at a more appropriate time. Fair enough. Craft beer will save us all. News now. So the BA just released their 2018 economic impact report. Uh, lots of numbers. Uh, total industry brought in uh, 79.1 billion dollars last year, created over half a million jobs. Uh, this is a four percent four percent increase over last year. Uh, more numbers, but you know, screw it. This is the way. This is how I like. To, this is how I looked at it. Bottom line, I feel like there's three takeaways. First, more proof that craft beer is growing. Beer in gen- well, and beer in general is seeing a slight decline, which means craft beer is becoming bigger and becoming a, getting a bigger market share. We talk about this over and over again, but more proof we're right. 0.4% of the GDP. You know, and I think will be interesting is as talk of recession keeps on growing. I think it'll be interesting to see how craft beer weathers their essentially the second recession of their existence. Yeah. Um, during the twenty-eight or two thousand eight, uh, two thousand nine recession, it actually was fairly good for the industry, or at least it didn't suck as much as it did for a lot of other industries. Because what they found was craft beer was a affordable luxury. People in a recession still pay five dollars for a coffee, and coffee just gives you a little pick me up. Right. Five dollars a pint, and you can get a little buzz. Helps. It helps you like get over deal that whole, with the misery. Of gets, the you, day. gets you over that whole. I just lost my job, and when I went to go ask for another one, they laughed at me for thirty minutes. Thing. So you know. And so did the next door neighbor and the next door neighbor. Um. So I think you know with that's that could be coming on the horizon. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But I think that you know it's obvious. Craft beer still doing well. Uh, the second takeaway, the BA loves to trumpet just how many jobs is, are created, but I think there's, I actually sense some growing disconsent about, or dis, discontent about the nature of some of those jobs. Um, it's still a, it's still a, a, a growing industry, still a very young industry. I think as it matures, it's going to face some challenges when it comes uh, to staffing, because I think, I mean, I, we both know craft beer, not a terribly lucrative place to work. And there's been a there's been a, a lot of hours, not great pay, and and you do it because a you get free beer, and b you love it. Mm-hmm. On some level, you just dig the industry, you dig the people, you but dig it's what you're also doing. not a just all out rager every night of the week, right? Um, but I predict some problems if the industry just turns out to be this thing that chews up young people when they're at their most productive and then spits them out because. Broken and poor. Right. People are, at some point in time, that, you know, that that nice corporate paycheck from AB InBev starts looking really, really good. (laughs) So... To go sit on a yacht. You know, and I think the the spirit of just pure entrepreneurship has carried craft beer a long way. And it's not completely run its course. You know, all you gotta do is keep looking at all the new breweries that are popping up. um, And it's a 
and just what it's what makes this such a fun place and time to be in. But it's the passions can only take you so far, and I'm kind of wondering at what point in time do does you know, do the quality of the jobs in the craft beer industry start to matter? So or the quality of the pay, and that's what I'm kind of talking yeah. about. I mean, you know the the but you know long hours for very little pay. You know, I was reading a couple of things about breweries that should be paying livable wages but really aren't. Mm-hmm. And so it's... And I think how craft beer should measure itself is how many livable wage jobs does each brewery provide instead of barrels per year? Because a lot of the breweries know that they're never going to get anywhere near a Sam Adams production level. or And a lot of them don't want to get that high. But... They want to make a difference where they can have people in the community come in and support them. They can have employees that are from that community mm-hmm. make a livable wage, raise a family, and stay working there. So that should be not barrels per year that we're talking about. It should be livable wage jobs per year. Listen to Tyler, B.A. That's kind of, that's kind of data I was kind of looking for. It's like, okay, you created you know half a million jobs, but how many of those jobs can a person actually live live on and raise a family on? And the answer, I think, is probably a shockingly low uh, percentage of those. So probably. that's. But I think the Brewers Association in that also takes into account like distributorship jobs. They do. And, yes. They, uh, retailer jobs. So they do. Yeah, they do take in consideration. But if it if craft beer touches it, it's a job it created. And so yeah, you have to take that with a certain grain of salt. But I. But at the same time, you look at. I mean, craft beer affects uh, uh, staffing throughout the distributorships because to sell more beer, you're going to need more salespeople. You're going to need more... Delivery drivers, You're going to need more pickers at the warehouse because now they're not just loading a pallet of Bud Light. They're having to pick a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So, I mean, that, I think those numbers are valuable, but it would be interesting to know... On the brewery level, yeah, livable wage jobs. Um, and the third and the third question, or the third takeaway is the question I get quite frequently is... Is craft beer peaked? And I think if you look at the numbers, the answer is clearly not even close. Um, if you're top 10, top 50 in barrels per year as a craft brewery, then maybe yes. You're not going to see but, the, the incredible growth that you saw, but I'm just talking more like as an industry. I mean, yeah. is there is there still room for, a, for someone to start a brewery and make it work? Yes. And yeah. You're not going to hit... 50 state distribution level but for me where i kind of looked at that was um the highest states per capita um and these were colorado vermont and oregon were the top three uh contributors per capita um in these three states craft craft beer contributed uh, at least if not more than 700 dollars per person um so if we assume that those three states are kind of like the cap and I don't think they are, but let's just assume that that's about as good as it's ever going to get. Most of the country is not even where, anywhere close to that. Most of the country is in and around $200 or $300 per capita. Now, you you face some cultural factors because, I mean, for example, Alabama ain't never going to be as good as Colorado when it comes to craft beer. I don't think Alabama's gotten over cousin marrying yet, so we'll, it's, a, it's a long road ahead for Alabama. Hi, Alabama! <laughs> Although I will give it, Alabama does make some killer beer uh, with 
blue pants out of there. Um, playing. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Mississippi, but there's a, a Ma- Magnolia Brewing on Mississippi that's also extremely good. I'm uh-huh, a big fan of uh, Rocket Republic out of yeah. uh, Alabama, and there's one that makes Snake Handler Double IPA. So I just put in a I, I just put in a random disc to Alabama, but Tyler just came to their defense. He's Northern Idaho just kicked in. He's all like, good people a- brewing. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I have traded beer with a couple people in Alabama, and they've got. Fuck! <laughs> I'm sorry, I dissed on Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> oh, believe me, I flip a lot of shit to Alabama, but they do make some solid beer. And now, do I think the market is going to be the same as Oregon and Alabama? No. But the interesting is thing is that you think California, which was by far and away the number one state over uh, overall economic impact, we take per capita into consideration. Uh, California and Idaho are pretty close on their map. They're somewhere towards the towards the back of the spectrum. I estimate somewhere between two hundred, maybe three hundred dollars uh, per person. So, I think that clearly says that there there are a lot of states with a population that can see growth. So what my takeaway was is that the potential is there. The people are there. Just get the beer to them. I think that's a good reckoning on a lot of things in craft beer. Just get the beer to the people. Just yeah, it just requires a, a little bit of education and a little bit of here, try this. It's not Bud Light. It's better. It will warm your soul. And it requires breweries um actually making beers that are approachable to the Bud Light drinker mm-hmm. to bridge the gap over and bring... Absolutely. And you're see- and you're seeing that more and more. I mean, I, as much as we shit on the whole, like, uh, lighter, low-calorie um, beers on this podcast, I think that you, there clearly is a place for that, and it's bringing... It's tearing some people away from, uh, from your domestics. And so I always say that craft beer... Um, is uh, craft beer is more or less competing against the big guys. It's all of craft beer versus them. And so, you know, wherever you can pull someone away from them, yeah, that's that's a win. In other news, uh, ABM Bev is actually not being a dick. You know what? I don't believe it. G- give me proof, Tyler. Give me proof <laughs> that, the, that the giant hurricane of dicks is not being a dick today. So, uh, they are planning on phasing out single-use plastic rings uh, for Budweiser, Bex, Corona, and Stella Artois in the UK by the end of 2020. Okay, that's slightly not dickish. So, uh, they're going to be providing alternatives such as single-use to the single-use plastic, uh, including the recyclable paperboard, wraps, overboxing, which is the six-pack box, uh, that's printed on all sides. With this here, um, the switch will help eliminate 850 tons of plastic each year. That's actually wow. That's a. I mean, yeah, that much Budweiser. Yes. This includes the removal of 250 tons of plastic rings used to keep the packs of beer cans together, and 600 tons of shrink film uh, that is used to hold the trays in shipping. Seeing that, I was like, oh, that's awesome, and. It kind of ties in, I mean, in the Northwest here, a lot of people use Pactex, uh, which some people hate because they're kind of hard the first time to pull the can out of. Once you get it down, it's second nature. They're recyclable, so breweries can reuse them. Out of Eugene, I just assume everyone used them, or that a lot of people used them. But uh, when I went over to Georgia last year, 
being so close to the Atlantic Ocean, I was like, oh, everyone. I don't know if I saw a single pack tech huh. over there. It was all the old school turtle killing six pack rings. Huh. But it kind of makes sense because those are way cheaper per six pack. But it's a heavier up front cost to get the piece of machinery that applies them on right. after everything's been canned. Where with the pack tech, you can pay someone a case of beer to stand at the end of the canning line and just <laughs> clack, clack, clack. <laughs> case is done. One of those, one of those uh, half a million jobs that uh, that uh, was created that BA the BA reported on the guy getting get, guy getting a dollar an hour and a beer to put the the pack tech on, or it's the assistant brewer instead of doing something is standing there putting pack techs <laughs> okay. on. That's actually probably more accurate. It's the assistant brewer going fuck you, fuck you, <laughs> fuck. I hate I, I hate this. <laughs> I guess I don't know. The thing I always kind of wonder is uh, I like the. Uh, from a retail standpoint, I always like the, uh, the, 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 the paperboard or cardboard boxes, putting the cans in those. Not only do I, uh, not only do I think they, you know, they're, they're obviously, they're recycled, but I think they actually look better and they're easier for, on the retail side for us to handle and, and, uh, uh, pack shelves with and all that stuff. So. Okay. I'm stepping up on a soapbox here. Everybody back up. Here comes Tyler. All right. So I am in a hundred percent agreement. Because uh, when I have to go in and face some merchandise, the Winco stores that we're in with our six packs, uh, I have to make sure all the cans are faced out so people can see our product go through. Oh, yeah, I didn't even get hit upon that. We have to turn every single, single fucking, fucking can. can. Yeah. With that overboxing, you get six, eight sides of marketing that you can put on mm-hmm. with different things. It guarantees that it's never you don't have a customer who wants to read one side turns it and then doesn't fucking turn it back so you get there and one can's facing left one can's facing north and yeah <laughs> i mean uh, you can, you guys can't see this but you're I, i'm actually watching his, his hands are trembling and his left <laughs> eye is twitching it's, i didn't know i was getting into this but we are hitting upon one of tyler's like Shitstorm peeves. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to read the side of the can, turn it back. Have some goddamn common courtesy. Uh, but... No, but the hard part with the overboxing is it's just so much more expensive than, like, say, Pactex. Fair. I think for Pactex, it cost our brewery about 52 56 cents a case. So for the four six-pack holders of Pactex... Uh, so even, and then I can't remember the numbers exactly, but even subtracting out that 56 cents, it's something like a dollar 10 more expensive huh. than, than pack techs to do the boxes. So, huh? Well, that's interesting. But, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll add one more thing. There is only one downside to the, uh, to the, 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 the cardboard or, uh, paperboard boxes. If you break six packs. If you break a six-pack, you can't just like, well, shit, and just take a few cans and then make a six-pack hole again and put it back on the shelf and nobody knows. Yeah, that totally happens in grocery stores. Just saying. (laughs) Or specialty bottle shops. Like, I know the co-op here downtown, some of the beers, um, if the box got printed kind of cockeyed, where it looks like where that'd be the top, but it's not the top, and then someone opens it, and everything falls out because it's on its side, actually, but the box is printed weird. Yep. 
this is the dark and dirty little secret about the beer you buy at uh, at your favorite grocery store or bottle shop. It's totally been someone drunk. stopped for like twenty hours on every fucking six pack, man. <laughs> Just so you know, that's the that, that that is the little horror story behind the can of beer that you're holding right now while listening to this podcast. Unless you're driving, please don't please don't be drinking beer while you're driving and listening to this podcast. Yeah, don't drink and drive. Get your drink. Get, get your drinking done early, and then go driving. As George Carlin said. That's not good advice. Don't do that either. <laughs> All right. Have your helicopter pilot fly you home. <laughs> Tyler, anything to add tonight? Uh, nope, that's it. All right, well, this has been It's All Beer. As always, if you come across some craft beer news that you'd like me and Tyler to rant about and to watch Tyler get maybe a little bit passionate about, I was not expecting that. <laughs> I suddenly understand why he pitched that story this evening. Um, but if you find one of those stories... Uh, let us know. You can get in touch with us at uh, itsallbeer at gmail.com. And, of course, we're doing the social media thing because you have to. You can tweet us at itsallbeer or Facebook at itsallbeer. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a rating. Uh, it helps people find what we're doing here. And every five-star rating makes Tyler... It doesn't stop the trembling and the hatred, but it kind of smooths it out like a little bit, like a little bit of oats added to the uh, to to your to your hazy IPA. It just makes it, it just improves his mouthfeel. I guess, I guess what I'm saying. Until you get a stuck mash. <laughs> well, you just add rice holes. That's all you need to do. <laughs> all right. Well, that'll be all from us. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler. Go drink a beer. Have fun. I think that's how the song goes. Something like that.